Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. We are going to have a great show for you today. Marianne Williamson, you should remember her from being the former Democratic presidential candidate in 2020. Uh, she's also working now on, fasc- uh, on our discussing our path to fascism and the things that we really need to do to make sure that that path is broken. We also speak to Kate Mayer. Kate Mayer is going to discuss getting involved in your local government, being a part of voting locally, making sure that you know you control the local area with a few other things going forward. So please stick around and let's go ahead and get busy because we have a good program ahead for you. Welcome to another edition of Politics and Right. We are here with... Miriam Williamson, she's an American author, spiritual leader, and political activist. She has written 14 books, including four New York Times bestsellers. She's founder of Project Angel Food, a volunteer food delivery program that serves homebound people with HIV, AIDS, and other life-threatening illnesses. She is also the co-founder of the Peace Alliance, a nonprofit education and advocacy organization supporting peace-building projects. She has frequently appeared on the Oprah Winfrey Show. And as we all remember, she was one of the memorable candidates for the presidency of the United States in 2020. Welcome to Politics Done Right, Marianne Williamson. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. And thank you for having me on your program. Look, first of all, thank you for being here and thank you for what you are about to do. I understand that you are going to be participating in the Grassroots Emergency Election Protection uh, Symposium Forum. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, this is Harvey Wasserman's program uh, about election protection. I've known Harvey for quite a few years. Um, He does great work. And so that day, the Great Minds event, I assume you have the information there about when it will be. Do you need to look that up? Yes, I've Um, got it. It'll be posted in the blog. It's the 25th of September. Well, he will be talking about the effort to protect the election, both in 2022 and, of course, in 2024. And I will be talking about my general sense of where America is now, and uh, for that matter, why we even have problems with election protection to begin with. Now, one of the places I want to start with is because um, what do you see as the genesis of the problem in America? Why are we having these issues today? Well, there are, there are many angles uh, on which we can discuss that, but I think two are most important. One does go back to the beginning, of course. There is a flaw that was built into the system in 1776 when the the Declaration of Independence was signed. Um, It was signed by 56 men who did risk their lives uh, to sign a document which 
if the war had gone differently and if the British had won, these men would have been executed as traitors. And by signing their names, they were imbuing uh, in our mission statement and our Declaration of Independence, the very enlightened ideals, particularly enlightened for that time, although to be honest, they're very enlightened for this time as well, that all men are created equal and that all men are given inalienable rights of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. The problem, of course, the inherent flaw, uh, the fundamental uh, dichotomy is that 41 of those 56 signers were themselves slave owners. So from the very beginning, there has been this bipolarity to the American consciousness. From the very beginning, there has been this inherent struggle between the enlightened principles on which we purport to stand and the fact that there have been forces from the very beginning for whom the exaltation of property rights and their own economic um, their own economic interests ran counter to the actualization of those ideals. So the struggle has always been and continues to be within every generation between those who are willing to struggle and sacrifice in order to attain those ideals and those who are willing to perpetrate even heinous forms of uh, violence in order to make sure that those ideals are not embodied. In a very real way, therefore, what we are experiencing now is simply the latest iteration of the original sin of this country. That's that angle. But there's another angle which has to do with the more immediate political realities. That has to do with how this particular iteration, the way it is currently uh, uh, manifest, how did this begin in our modern politics. And for that, you would go back to the 1970s. You would go back to uh, a man named Buchanan, who made the economic argument that the only way to ensure property rights was to put democracy in chains. You would uh, look at the fact that Charles and David Koch, who were radical conservative libertarians, said, we can fund that to the election of, of, of Ronald Reagan in 1980. With the election of Ronald Reagan particularly, although many of these things began even earlier, there was this, uh, this effort to vigorously dismantle the basic tenets of the New Deal, to introduce neoliberal, um, unfettered, unregulated capitalism as not only the governing principle for our economy, but basically for our society. Um, the Republican president started it. No Democrat, Democratic president has really stopped it. Republicans put full fuel behind this neoliberal, unfettered uh, capitalism as their organizing principle. Democrats try to have it both ways, of course. They slow down the problem. Mm. They try to fix the problem on the periphery, ameliorate the suffering of people that is caused by neoliberal madness. But they're not in their current leadership establishment willing to um, challenge the underlying forces that create all that suffering because they're taking the donations as well. And as part of their insistence that they must toe the line with the neoliberal uh, corporatism, they do what they can to suppress uh, progressive candidates as well as progressive policies. Um, so. On that, uh, if you're looking at the current iteration um, of the neoliberal 
corruption, uh, economic system, of course, the Milton Friedman and so forth, um, that began really full force with the election of Ronald Reagan. But the original problem of thinking that property rights was more important than humanitarian values or democratic principle goes back to the beginning. I am glad you actually named Milton Friedman because I, I always consider Milton Friedman the codification of making capitalism more evil than it is inherently uh, by by making it known that no social that executives have no responsibility to social policy at all, but just to their executives and the, the shareholder to maximize shareholder value. Now, in, in, in all. May I you, say something to sure, that? Sure, go ahead, please. I, I do think we're, it's worth noting that Milton Friedman himself said, but that will only work if you have universal basic income. So Milton Friedman himself recognize that that can that must be accompanied by UBI. I hadn't read that part that yeah. he that he believed in universal basic income. Yeah, because he realized that otherwise he was just unleashing evil. Well, yeah, because the, the basic the basic you know, tenet is mathematically speaking, it, the, the derivative is what it devolves to, right? Which means all, our, our our wealth all goes to zero except for those at the top. That's just That's a mathematical exactly right. formula. But, That's exactly right. Um, exactly. So now... Um, you you brought you you've been very hard justifiably on corporations and in my humble opinion even during uh the campaign that you ran as uh when you ran for presidency there was a certain attempt at marginalization and minimization of you proper explain <laughs> you explain so? that for me well uh after the second uh debate the democratic debate after the second debate, I was the most Google candidate in 49 states. Clearly, someone very high up in the Democratic Party said, get her off the stage. I was starting to get my sea legs in that second one. Uh, by the third debate, I could have been a real inconvenience, uh, I assume, was their reckoning. Uh, and within three days, uh, the talking points were very clear. You couldn't open up your computer, turn on television, uh, read a magazine or newspaper that I wasn't being referred to as kooky and crazy and crystal lady and <laughs> new age nutcase. And I told AIDS patients not to take their medicine. And I told sick people that they just hadn't prayed hard enough. And I was anti-vax and I was irresponsible about, about mental health. And I was, uh, what was the other one? I don't know, dangerous, crazy lady. And they're very good at what they do. In terms no, I of need I, I need to stop you there because in 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 making those statements, you 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 brought up something that we speak about all the time, and that is the co-opting of the mainstream media to the corporate structure, etc. Talk to me a little bit about what you know, what our whether our media is real or whether we really should be dependent on what we do here in independent media. Well, it was in 1996, I'm sorry to say, under a Democratic president, Bill Clinton, uh, the Telecommunications Act of 1996 led to the complete monopolistic corporatization of mainstream media. When I was a child, the same company was not allowed to own, in a particular town, the same company was not allowed to own the radio station and the newspaper and the television. Once you, you gave just a few media companies power over uh, over this. Once you got rid, as Ronald Reagan had gotten rid of the fair, doctors, uh, fair doctrine um, policy, what happened to the media is the same as what's happened to our energy policy, is what's happened to our foreign policy, is what's happened to our 
um, to our health care. It's all about profit. So mainstream media has become profit driven rather than truth driven. Uh, journalism within mainstream media has been diminished to such a point that serious journalists find themselves on the outs within their own industry. And that's why, that is why uh, independent media is so important because, you know, it's just like anything else. If it's profit driven, they're going to tell you what they want you to, what they want you to hear for their purposes, for their economic purposes. uh, And, and make sure that you don't hear uh, what would not serve their economic purposes. So they don't want you to be listening to, to any, uh, a political candidate. The primary example, of course, is Bernie Sanders, but uh, that was true in my case as well. And it's true of many uh, of these really wonderful uh, progressive candidates who have run in this congressional uh, season, and they will do what they can to marginalize those voices. What this, what this partnership of corporate America and the U.S. government represents, or our political system anyway, what it represents is they have a very specific agenda. And they have also a very specific group of people that they see as capable of carrying out and perpetuating their agenda. And if anyone else comes in with, oh, I don't know, democracy, uh, voices that might not align with theirs, they have their ways of making sure that nobody will listen to you. And to numb your voice. And uh, they did a good job of it. it, it uh, they, they got you out of there. Uh, they put the stops on rather quickly. I remember it was a, 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 a quick exit, if you, if, if you will, with mm-hmm. the marginalization. And, and Although, yes. No, I'm sorry. I'd like to point out that a lot of people, particularly on the left, who would like to think that they're not so easily propagandized, sure went for it when it came to me. Oh, I don't. Let me let me tell you something, Marianne. Um, I don't doubt that at all. Um, there's a there's a something important that we have to understand. Some people tend to believe that the left is much different than the right, but the the truth of the matter is, uh, we have the same level of intellect and and many other things across the country. It just happens to be that the left happens to have the policies that are correct in general but as far as and 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 being indoctrinated on the left side happens to be to turn out to be the right thing but that left person could just as well have been indoctrinated on the right side and turn out to have done the wrong thing so i mean there 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 are a lot of issues in that regards now that said um how are we going to uh, going forward because you stated the last statement that you make i think is uh probative Yes, a left, the left can be just as gullible as the right. My question to you then is, how are we going to solve this problem? This election of 2022 should be, a, 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 a it, the way I see it, should have been really a landslide for progressives, for Democrats. Based on what Republicans have shown you they will do, that's what it shows. But even the polls today, even though I know that it's a likely voter poll and nobody knows what's a likely voter poll model going to really look like, it seems to me like it's going to be a closer election than it should be. Your thoughts? Well, the problem is not how many people are going to vote for uh, the Republicans. The bigger problem is how many people might stay home. Mm-hmm. And many people who stood in line for seven or eight hours uh, to vote for Joe Biden um, 
knowing how dangerous Donald Trump was and really believing in the promises of Joe Biden may or may not feel as enthusiastic and as willing to stand in line for seven hours um, on this coming midterm election, November 8th. Um, Biden started out, you know, there was a lot of talk about maybe he really would be a kind of Rooseveltian figure. Uh, but even though some things have happened that we can celebrate, the most important of which is that he did defeat uh, Trump. Um, not enough has been done. For instance, the president could have declared a medical emergency and uh, given Medicare for all to everyone. Uh, the president could have declared by now a climate emergency and set us on a warp speed path towards green energy grid. Once again, on all of these things, he does incremental change um, in this new Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, there is investment, pretty revolutionary, wonderful uh, investment in green energy. But at the same time, there's also uh, more drilling permits than uh, even Donald Trump got. There is the ten thousand uh, dollar eradication of, of the college loan debt. But he could have just done the whole thing. So why is it going to be closed? It's going to be closed because not enough people feel like it really matters to me to get him back and get the Democrats in there. There are just too many ways in which, while some people might see some difference between the two parties, even in, in this last two years, they don't see enough difference that um, they are willing to make the sacrifices necessary sometimes that, that are involved in trying to even to just get your vote counted in some of these states. Biden could have done more. Biden could be doing so much more uh, on, on people's health. He could be doing so much more for Flint. He could be doing so much more for Jackson, Mississippi. He could be doing so much more for Merrimack, New Hampshire. He could be doing so much more uh, for um, uh, whether it has to do with clean food, clean health, clean, uh, clean uh, regenerative agriculture, people getting education. We should make a statement that we are going to have universal health care in this country no differently than they have in every other advanced democracy. Hell, they have it in Russia. They have it in China. They have it in Cuba. If, if all the Democrats are going to do is make incremental changes rather than just go out there and declare this is how things should be. Americans should have universal health care, period. Americans should be able to go to free college or tech schools as high as they can go if they, in fact, work hard enough to make it, like in every other advanced country, period. There are so many ways in which Democrats continue to show up with incremental changes. And too many people don't even have a historic memory, an institutional memory of a time when the Democratic Party was unabashedly, unequivocally uh, in favor of the, the working person of the United States, even recently with the railroad uh, unions uh, and they're wanting to strike. You know, the White House is bragging that they, um, you know, Marty Walsh went in there and they forged a compromise. Well, if you ask the average railroad worker, they don't see it as a compromise. They still don't have the sick days. That I mean, it's just outrageous to think that companies that are making billions of dollars will not even give a sick day to its workers. And then we'll have the audacity to claim that, yeah, we have those profits, but the laborers didn't cause those profits, uh, create those profits. That is outrageous. And people need to see that someone in the government is their champion and on their side. And um, I don't Media. think it takes away from the things that Biden has tried to do in certain cases to point out that the average American 
I don't think sees him as their. Champion. I agree with that one hundred percent. Unfortunately, um, that is the reason that I at the at, during the election I was at Bernie Sanders supporters personally, because uh, Biden is executing maybe a bit better than I thought he would, but uh, he it's there's no surprise to me that Biden is a neoliberal. My question to you, however, Median, and and please please help me here. Uh, my question is. Uh, if we if we get a right wing government in power, the ladder up is going to be that much more. I'm not into incrementalism. I've written against incrementalism at Daily Coast and many other places. I've uh, about this railroad deal. I really wrote a few blogs about it that really hit them up as far as can you believe a rich company won't even give sick days off? Don't they need healthy, healthy employees? Of course they do. But my thing is, as a as a an act, what I call myself an activist journalist, I am still trying to get folks to go out there and and pull the right button to hold pace until progressives sufficiently make the case that you have got to go full progressives. Do you agree with that stance or not? Absolutely. And I, you know, I endorsed quite a few uh, progressive candidates in their in their primaries uh, who were defeated by the corporate machines. But some are still out there. Derek Marshall in in California. uh, In Pittsburgh. Yeah, absolutely. Some are still there. Uh, But, you know, uh, people have different opinions. I'm still going to be hoping that the Democrats win uh, on November 8th, because in many of these races, people will not have the ch- the choice of a progressive. They'll have a choice of a corporate Democrat exactly. or a Republican. And, you know, this is where, you know, not everyone agrees with me, but uh, I still prefer a Congress made up of um, of Democrats than Republicans. Um, that's how I come down on it. But I know Marianne, many people don't agree with me l- on let that. Me, let me tell you, that is, a, that is, the, that is the progressive answer. And, and, and uh, many folks who are saying, let it fall and burn, uh, that is the answer of privilege, because there are some who simply cannot afford to let it burn. Uh, I really agree with that. And thank you for saying it, because this anti-electoralism thing, um, this shaming of, of people who say we have to vote for the Democrats anyway. Um, I really think you're right. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, so that is where we go. But Marianne, uh, first of all, I want to remind folks and it'll be in the blog that Marianne will be speaking on the 25th of uh, on the 25th of September with the uh, name of the organization that she'll be speaking at is a grassroots emergency election protection. And, and all the information will be followed on the screen and inside of the blog post for this. Marianne, before I go, uh, I always ask one last question, and that is, please tell me something that you would have wished that I'd asked you but I just didn't get around to asking that particular question. You're really good at what you do. So there's actually nothing on a political level that I would say that about. If um, you don't mind, I'd like to give you another, a little more information about other places where I will be this week in Los Angeles. May I do that? Absolutely. I will be at Bernie's Coffee Shop on uh, the 24th. And I will also be at a place and I, uh, I will also be at a place called um, Little Secret L.A. on the 23rd. And people can go to my events page at Marianne.com uh, to find out all that information. 
Well, I'll make sure to add that into the blog as well, Marianne. And look, thank you so kindly for having thank been you. on Politics Done Right. And and again, don't don't let 2020 stop you from 2024, okay? Thank you for saying that. I'm my ears are open and um I'll I'll put I'll put your saying that into on that side of the ledger. Thank absolutely. you. Absolutely. Absolutely so. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. God bless you, sir. Thank you. Mike Pence, former chief of staff, was uh, appeared on on this week, also with uh, Heidi Heitkamp, former senator Heidi Heitkamp, and uh, at the end of the, the near the end, the, one of the discussion that they had was about Donald Trump and the policy Donald Trump stood for, and about Ryan, you know Ryan, who's running in Ohio, a senator running away from Biden, and and what Short said was, "Hey, guess what." If you take a look at Ryan's page, it has some of the same policies that Trump said he stands for. And then you sit down there and wonder, wait a minute, are you actually saying that Ryan is trying to become Trump? No, 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 no. That's not what happened at all. And Heidi Heitkamp really called him out on the reality. I want you to listen to this and then we'll take it on the other side because I like that Heidi Heitkamp always is quick on her feet. Check this out. Ryan's a great example, John, because the reality is he actually said, I'm not going to campaign with Joe Biden in Ohio. If you look at his website, he's embraced many of the Trump policies. He's basically complimented Trump on his policies toward China. So many people actually like the Trump policies. The reservation is on the personality side. So if I could just say a lot of those Trump policies are classic Democratic policies. You know, you've been free trade. Guess Trump wasn't free trade. You've been, uh, let's open up the door to China, A.K. Nixon. The de- Democrats have cautioned so, about so- so that is the case. A lot of the policies that you hear Ryan, uh, you know, touting, it's not that he's trying to run away from democratic policies at all. They've always been democratic policies. Back then, in 2016, when I told folks at Daily Coast that there's a good chance that, that Trump will win because what Trump was doing is a classic Clinton feature. It's called triangulation. So he was making himself to be that populist who supported the policy that most Americans like, which are progressive policies. The reality is when he got into office, that's not what he did. He just talked that way. But what he really did was support all his rich, fat cats. But when it came to policies, Donald Trump supported the policies of Democrats in voice, in words. I am going to give you great health care All the things that Democrats spoke about, he spoke about, but he never had anything to offer. So Heidi Heitkamp, thank you for catching that and understand it, folks, in the context. It's not that Ryan is trying to be Donald Trump. It's that Donald Trump used Democratic policies under the the facade of a Republican to not win the popular vote, but win the the. Electoral College the first time around, and of course, zoom up his... Look, I am still surprised at the number of votes that Donald Trump got in the second election. If we had not, progressives, Democrats, and others, had not really busted their butts to increase their take of the population, Donald Trump would have actually won a popular vote if we had received Hillary Clinton-type numbers. So uh, kudos, Heidi Heitkamp, but nope. 
Uh, Ryan is not doing anything undemocratic. He's still a neoliberal, but he's not doing anything undemocratic. One of the better politicians out there is Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton is a guy who should never have won the presidency given all the problems he had getting up to the presidency. But he's a great politician. And I want you to listen to him because he sees something that many of us are talking about. Some people, while we were talking about this three, four months ago, they laughed. I mean, three to four months ago, I've said, we are going to hold the House. We are going to gain in the Senate. And we may even gain in the House. It's for Democrats to lose. I've been saying that before these numbers turned around because it is just a matter of policy and messaging. And when people uh, are hurting, if you can win the policy messaging vote, I mean, a messaging game, you can actually win the vote. And you, you, you make again what occurred in Clinton's years and Bush years where the off election was won by the same party. I want you to check this out. We'll take it on the other side. Could Biden break the historical pattern of midterms going badly? Absolutely. But we could hold both of these houses. But we have to say the right things. And we have to note the Republicans always close well. Why? Because they find some new way to scare the living daylights out of swing voters about something. That's what they did in 2021, where they made critical race theory sound worse than smallpox. And it wasn't being taught in any public schools in America. But they didn't care. They just scare people. And at the end, the break point in American politics is much not much different than it was in the 90s. That is, you still have to get those people. It's just that there's so many fewer because as the parties have gone more ideological and clear and somehow psychically intolerant, they pull fewer, the more and more of the people toward the extremes. But there's still some people hanging on there who are really trying to think and trying to understand what's going on. So I think that's very important. The way Tony Blair puts it is you and he understood that you had to appeal to peoples on cultural issues to reassure them that you weren't a crazy-eyed radical. And then they would be open to listening to your economic policies, which were going to help them. But if they thought you were somehow alien, they were just not going to be listened to it. That's right. And it applies to other things. When we succeeded in breaking the filibuster and getting the assault weapons ban passed, I said, look, I grew up in a hunting culture. You know, I had a, a 22 when I was 10 years old, a 410 shotgun, a tiny one when I was 14. I don't want to do anything to interfere with your right to hunt, sports shoot, or protect yourself, especially if you live in a rural area where the police response time might be pretty extended. If I keep that commitment, wouldn't you like to help a lot of these kids that are being shot down and bribed by shootings live. We need your help here. That's what I did. I didn't call them killers. I didn't, you know, talk about the NRA. I talked about people. There aren't so many of them, but you just need a few to flip from one side to the other, and you've got a healthy governing majority. It is hard, and it's much harder now than when I did it, and it was hard then. But what Biden reasoned was, I just have to keep at it, and I'll either get something done or I won't, but I can't win a word war with these guys. I've got to win based on things that will help people. And now you see he's getting a little more robust in his rhetoric, but it's because he's got a platform to stand on that will help other people's lives. Politics is about other people. And uh, the problem with the culture war is that it always tries to turn it back to the politicians. What's wrong with them? And this is what the press has to guard against, because if you have to worry about daily ratings, you know, the drama of two people duking it out is far more effective. But it always, in the end, winds up helping the right, because we, it's harder to build a barn than it is to kick one down. And then when you build it, you got to explain what you built and why it's a good thing to put your animals in your barn. It's harder, but it's really worth doing. Absolutely. So it's easier to 
tear something down than it is to build it. So the, Bill Clinton is absolutely right, but he's also right that it's about messaging. He's also absolutely right that Republicans know how to close. And that's because closing for them is very, very easy. Lie through your teeth. They like continuously anyway, but they will continue to lie through their teeth and then scare the holy crap out of everybody to make it make it an existential problem, an existential an existential problem if they vote for Democrats. But what Democrats have to do is the opposite. They need to prove that it is that voting for a Republican leader creates an existential problem, not only to humanity, not only to America, but to humanity proper. And I, I'm not saying that I'm not I'm not kidding or being exploitative or, be, or, or when I say this. They are a clear and present danger. This is not hypothesis. The things that they support cause harm, causes harm. The things that they support cause harm. So let's be clear here. Uh, Bill Clinton is absolutely right. The House and the Senate is there for Democrats to hold on to. It is there for them to hold on to. It is there for them to gain seats. But they're going to have to forget about playing these these funny games of of trying to triangulate. They just need to go at it. This is what we are going to do for you. This is what they are doing against you. This is how they're killing you with, by not giving you health care. This is how they're killing you by not having a regulated uh, electrical grid in Texas. This is how they're killing you by having not allowing us to pass good immigration and bring it and, and causing all kind of havoc thereafter. The immigration problem is their problem. The problems with healthcare, it's their problem. We have the solutions. They have a minority that's able to block, give us a larger majority to move. And then when we get that larger majority, we will have to put the fire under the neoliberals to get the policies Americans say they want. But we are ready for the neoliberals. We are ready for the neoliberals if they don't fall in line and do the things necessary to move the middle class and poor Americans forward. Good evening. First of all, thank you, Ron, for giving me the opportunity to talk a bit about my book with your audience, discussing how to talk to your right side. Uh, now, how to talk to the right side. Now, first of all, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I'm from Central America. I'm a Latino, I'm a Caribbean, I'm black, and I always call it the three strikes when it comes to homophobia and sexism. I suffered from those decades ago, and one of the things that I did is I taught myself with the help of a whole lot of women and the help with a, from a whole lot of gay folk how to extricate those sins out of me, if you will. And when I say extricate, that's what I'm talking about. At first, it's mental only. And then it becomes both mental and carnal, such that it becomes your being not to have those prejudices, etc. Why did I start there? I started there because I wanted folks to know that I think for us to be able to be empathetic to others and understand others, we have to be able to be honest within ourselves and realize that within our own selves, we have deficiencies that themselves must be mitigated. 
and I think it's a it's a journey. Uh, for the major flaws that I think I've had, I think I've worked them through. And if someone finds other flaws, I've always been willing to work those through. Now, that is the humility, in my humble opinion, with which we need to address our brothers and sisters on the right. And I know it is very difficult listening to somebody who is really screaming nonsense, who is who really seems to be the most racist, the most homophobic, the most, all the isms that there are. And many of us have associated that with many of the people on the right, our right brothers and sisters. But let me digress a bit. Because while many of our brothers and sisters on the right uh, have no problem articulating that, yes, in fact, that's how they are, Many of us on the left or many of us in the middle or otherwise, we are just the same. We just know intellectually that we shouldn't articulate it or that we shouldn't make it known. But deep inside, how many times, how, how many times we are ourselves a passive reflection of those who we judge. That said... I think that is what gives myself and many others the humility to say we have to work together to address the right, to bring the right into the fold, to bring, to, to bring some sort of a togetherness. And that's the reason I wrote this book here. That's the real reason I wrote the book. I'm tired of fighting I'm, and, and I'm tired of saying that um, we just can't get along and we need to split. Now, there, there, look, there are a few folks that they are, in fact, deplorable and they are unredeemable. There are quite a, there are a few of those. But most people all want the same things. Today, in fact, in a Starbucks, I sat down with a Trump voting Republican man and I looked at him in our conversation and I said, I bet if we go through 20 items, I bet at least 16 of those items are going to, we're going to agree on. And more than likely, it's going to be 18. And there's a good chance it's 20. And we started having a long conversation. My daughter was next to me and she just smiled because she knew what was coming. And it turned out that for all the ish, major issues, we agreed on everything. And then, I, then he asked, so why do we have this animosity among us? And I said, because it serves a bigger purpose than us. There are those who require us to be at each other's throats so that we don't look at where our problems really are. So again, this is how to talk to your right-wing um, neighbors. It's worth it. First, get these people to like you, being able to be friendly, irrespective of what they're saying. Be, be the one with that thick skin that when they come at you, you know, uh, you take it because, I mean, you know that a lot of where they're coming from is ill, it's mal misinformation. And that person who is misinformed and the way I see it, the way I get through it is to consider them sick. And if you, con if you have a friend that is sick or has a problem in their minds, which a malinformed mind is a mental problem, would you judge them or would you, try to, uh, would you try to coax them 
into reality. And that's what I believe in doing. So what I try to do with the book is I try to touch on just about all kinds of things within our economy, within our people, etc. But also, how do we address the right wing? How do we put ourselves on the back in the back and realize that the, the better good is more important than uh, than making the point. I always talk about, I, I, I talk a lot because I do radio, but I always talk about uh, when I'm one-on-one with folks, I do a lot of listening first. I let that person see that I'm interested in them and I'm interested in where they are. And in being interested in them and where they are and showing a genuine interest, no matter where they are, whether it's Tea Party type person, whether it's even some folks that I know are categorically racist against me, and we still have the conversation. And when they see that you are actually putting, uh, giving them that time, that respect, it turns out that they many times return that favor. Not all the times. You won't be successful all of the times. So many times they return the favor. And when you start getting into the modal where you can talk about agreeing to disagree, that also works many times. Even if they're not agreeing with you right away, uh, they are giving you the option and they want to find you. I used to stay at Starbucks and, you know, here in Kingwood, Texas, where just about everybody's on the right. And what happens then is the people, they continue to come. If they see my car out there, they want to talk because the respect is there. We build a rapport. We make them like us. They see we're not the caricature that they get on Fox News or otherwise. And that opens the door for discussion, for talking. And if you are talking civilly with somebody, it's hard as hell to hate them. It's hard as hell to not work with them. That's what I try to sort of display in my book. Educational on on issues specifically on how to talk to folks but also to have a certain degree of humility in dealing with the other side. And with that, I hope uh, many of you would consider getting my book because, again, I think it has a value in how to deal with our brothers and sisters. And one of the things I always reference is I make these people always know I consider them my brothers and my sisters. And one of the reasons why I do that is one generally doesn't hurt their brothers and their sisters. So if, if, if they start to feel that familiarity with you, you get a hell of a lot more done. You get a hell of a lot more communication. And I hope with that, thank you so kindly for listening. Politics done right depends on you to keep doing what we do. What do we do? We make sure to keep, number one, the internet seeded with blogs and information to counter the right and to present what progressives represent for the benefit of us all to everybody so that it's not 
misread, misled by any other entity. We make sure and populate that internet with blogs, with videos, with all these other things to make sure that we are informed and to counter everything that you normally hear that, that are lying at the right. We also make sure to create articles in, in magazines, articles in newspapers all around the country to ensure, again, that our message gets out there. Last but not least, we also write books. As you see it, Class Warfare, the only re resort to right-wing doom, How to Make America Utopia, are two of the many books that I've written on these issues. So please support us in one of many ways. Numero uno, you can support us at PayPal, either one time or monthly. Go to politicsdoneright.com slash PayPal. You can support us on Patreon. That is politicsdoneright.com slash Patreon. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can support us by becoming a part of our YouTube channel, going to politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube, or you can support us in many other forms that you can find at politicsdoneright.com slash support. Be sure to visit our store, politicsdoneright.com slash store, and get our books at politicsdoneright.com slash books. This actually was pretty surprising to me. Andrew Mitchell challenged George Will, a conservative troglodyte of the past that these old ho all these hosts would just go ahead and let say whatever he wanted to say. Well, Andrew Mitchell kind of did a good job today. I mean, she could have said a few other things, but, you know, coming from Andrew Mitchell, I thought this was wonderful. Check this out, and then we'll take it on the other side. Can I say something about the president and his yeah, cars? Yeah, please do. <laughs> there were 8 million cars in this country in 1920. There were 20 million in 1930. Explode across the land. They all found gasoline. How'd they do that? The private market provided gas stations. Instead, in the modern age, we have to have an, an enormous multi-billion dollar plan to build charging stations for electric vehicles, which are supposedly wondrous things, but we're bribing people to buy the vehicles. And then we're building the gas station equivalent, the electric charging stations for it. Why? Well, why is the climate change? And why is, you know, how short a period of time we have to try to do something to ameliorate it and get people off of fossil fuels? California is going to do it by, you know, 2035. Yes, let's hope they repaired their electricity grid by then, because now they're saying whatever else you do, don't charge your cars at this point, because the grid can't handle it. If you have confidence in the government's ability to plan all this, you've been in Washington you long have, enough to know you better. Have now, you know, it drives me crazy. First of all, uh, she answered the question quite right. It's the climate, doofus. It's the climate. And what I think having the government having to step in to build charging station proved is the failure of the private sector. You see, they want to amortize pipelines. They want to amortize uh, all these old infrastructure. They want to use up all that, all that carbon that they have in the ground in the form of oil, gas, and coal, right? So they, so it's not in their interest. They don't care about the future. They'll burn the, they will burn all that coal and burn all that gas, burn all, all of it to turn it into carbon dioxide and fry the future. It's not about the future for the private sector. It's about the next quarter. And if you're looking at the next quarter, you cannot expect these guys to do what's right. 
Because what they do is to maximize the amount of bonuses they make for themselves as they screw everybody else. Folks, this is not rocket science. This is the reason you have to have good government. Good government that listen to science and follow the path. I mean, again, these this is a, the, the reason that we are not electric or already on, on carbon neutral fuels is simply a failure of the private sector. And, and remember, well, you know, we may not even need to call it a failure. We could pro- uh, probably call it a, 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 a feature of the private sector. In other words, they will, ch- they will pollute, destroy the environment and make a profit in doing so. And in order for us to live, the environment has to be cleaned up. We have to remove the carbon out of the air. We have to do all these things. They'll charge you again to clean up the mess that they've made. So it's, it's, it's the kind of economy that we have that has no soul, that has no morals, that cares nothing about anything other than a few making a few dollars. So folks, the troglodyte, when he says, well, do you trust the government for doing anything? Well, of course, if you, cre- if you put lousy people into government vis-a-vis Republicans and neoliberal Democrats, that's what you get, lousy government. But if you populate the government with people who think, with people who follow science, where there's not a profit motive, then the solutions would not look like how will that affect business, but how will that affect humanity? And inherently, if you make it good for humanity, good business will excel. Businesses that are attempting to pill for you to transfer most of the wealth to a few, they'll fail. Because you know what? Nobody needs to be a billionaire. Nobody earned being a billionaire. Nobody is worth a billion. Nobody worked hard enough or know enough to be a billionaire. That is a fiction of our, our, our capitalist system that allows some to take advantage of the works and the worth of others. Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. We're coming to you directly from Pittsburgh, PA, Netroots Nation 2022. Today I am with Kate Mayer. Thank you. Did I say absolutely. that right? Absolutely. You did. Absolutely. Kate, thank you so kindly for being with us. Absolutely. Uh, Thanks for having me. Look, let me tell you. First of all, what do you think about the conference so far? Absolutely fantastic. I don't think you could find a group of more committed, caring, thoughtful uh, individuals that are here to protect our democracy and make sure that we are building and sustaining our communities moving forward. What I find here is, you know, I come here I think it's always bi-directional. You learn a lot and you also have a lot to provide. Yep. And I imagine that is the same with you and with the company that you're representing. Tell us a little bit about yeah, what you're doing. Absolutely. I am the founder and director of Be The Ones, which is a nonpartisan organization working to increase and revolutionize civic participation at the local level. Mm-hmm. And we do that through education compa- campaigns uh-huh. that combine technology, storytelling, and real life experience. So what we're really trying to do is mm-hmm. break down what our local state leaders do mm-hmm. and why we should care. I always love asking this question. Yes. How many positions across the country, right. local and state elected leaders, do you think there are? You know what? I haven't got a clue. I know it's, it's thousands, but I have no Pick clue. a number, any number. Ten, maybe 50,000. 50,000. 
550,000. No. There are 550,000 people across this country in our communities that are making decisions about our lives every day, right? right. Why we're sitting here, right. what we're drinking, right. what we're eating, right. how safe our communities are. Right. And the reality and what research shows is that most people don't even know that these people exist, let alone right. what their roles and responsibilities right. are. So that's what we want to do. We want to bring awareness to who these people are, how they impact our lives, and how we can get in our communities and take action to ensure that we are building equitable, sustainable communities for all of us across the country. You know, uh, for all those beautiful words, you know, to a lot of people, they hear those words and say, ah, kind, kind, yeah. kind. but there's one word that you use in that whole litany of words that I really love, and that is story. Yeah. And the reason I love the word story is that if you can tell someone's story or you can tell a message yep. within that person's story, Absolutely. then you can actually reach that person. Something that we Absolutely. haven't yet learned to do as a society. It's funny you bring that up. Um, in our research and conversations, there is sometimes this negative connotation of story right. and storytelling, right? right? Especially in the society and world we live in right now mm -hmm. with misinformation and disinformation, right. right? Think about it when we were kids. We read these stories that were fictional and, right. and fairy tales. But the reality is stories are lives. They right. are people's lives. And that is how we can create change, right? By sharing stories right. together, good, bad, and the ugly. And a lot of what we've heard at this conference is, you talked about training and tools in addition, is how do we tell our stories in a more effective way? Right. And I truly believe that the change that we want to see, the stronger democracy, the healthy communities, that happens through storytelling. Right. And storytelling is not a bad thing. I, right. I truly believe it is the most powerful and effective tool that we have in our toolbox to create the change that we want and to. And we're also talking about personal stories, right? Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. Because when somebody see themselves in you, whoever you may be, 100%. they can see that it's not just me or actually yep. we actually share a common interest. Absolutely. I mean, I think of we ran a campaign last fall around school boards and property taxes. Right. And we had an individual in Pennsylvania who learned what the role of school board was through our storytelling. Right. And because of that, she is now running for school board in her community. Right. I think about a gentleman I met with yesterday here at the conference who is a returning citizen right. and very openly shared his story of what that was like to come back after being incarcerated for 20 years. Right. And, you know, how what he was told was he needed to take an eight week course mm -hmm. on how to write a resume. Mm -hmm. And that's not what he needed when right. he returned, right? He needed life skills and figuring out how to get back into, into the community. Yes. And being able to share these stories with one another is how we not only connect, right. but it's how we move forward. Right. It's how we create because we all have a story, exactly. right? We all have these stories that we have, have molded us mm -hmm. and um, can be used to, to, to relate to one another. Well, Kate, um, all of this is great. All these oh, words thank are you. great, Thanks. right? Now, how do we instantiate that? How do we yeah. make it happen? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it goes back to what we were just saying. It's yeah. having conversations. I right. think, you know, so much has happened in these last two years. But one of the things that I see most um, is this lack of conversation, this lack of talking to each other, of being open. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it starts with starting to talk with one and another. And how does your platform bring us into talking. To Great question. Be able to have that conversation. You need to have the information, right? right? And so that's what we're building. We are building this 
platform, this online database that is accessible, easy to understand, digestible content that you can become educated and understand what you need to know to have these informed conversations. You know, I find that in our society uh, today, one of the big problems that we have, Lindsay, yeah, one hey. of the big problems that we have has to do with um, the way that people get their information. Absolutely. You know, my question to you is that, yes, you're going to have a platform, mm -hmm. but is this platform going to be done in such a manner that it is accessible to everybody? Because the people that, that really uh, need some help right now yep. are the people that are least have, that least have things like computer systems and Wi-Fi yep. and all of that. 100%. How are you going to bridge that? Yeah. yeah. So let me start by saying that as much as we do, we will never be fully accessible to every single person and we recognize that. So an important step for us to take to get as close as we can mm -hmm. is to bring people on our team and work alongside of us that have those lived and learned experiences, right? From a disability standpoint and also from a language standpoint. So one thing that we are moving forward this fall is to provide all of our resources and information in English and Spanish. Our goal is to be able to increase to as many languages we possibly can with funding and resources somewhere. next year. Funding and resources. I'll give you the website in a second. Yes. Um, and then, as you said, with accessibility, too, we are a digital first model, but we recognize that 46 percent of this country doesn't have access to broadband Wi-Fi. 46. Yeah. Um, as wow. it relates in their homes, in their right. homes. Right. And so we know that um, digital can be our tool, but we also have to get on the ground and into communities that don't have access, right? And so how we do that is we partner with community organizations across the country to provide them the resources and materials to then go into their communities and give it to them. Um, in terms of other ways that we are accessible, we um, are, you know, really working towards including our information in a very factual, nonpartisan manner. This isn't about candidates. This isn't about who to if vote we can for. Get away from that, yes. This is about educating on issues. And the way that we can do that in the most accessible way is to bring people into the conversation, into the table, back to the storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. That have those experiences and that have lived it to be able to tell the truths. Kate Mayer, please tell them how Absolutely. we can get access to you. My website uh, is betheones.org, B-E-T-H-E-O-N-E-S.org. We're on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Let's Be The Ones. Um, I would love to chat with you. We are just getting started. We actually have going to give a quick pitch for an event. We have Vote Local Day on October 8th which is a digital first, again, online virtual event where we are going to combine storytelling, uh, performances, arts, fun, comedy, and education uh, to help voters as we lead into the election in November to really highlight those local and state positions that are on the ballot and that really, really, really have an impact as it relates to reproductive justice and voting access and education beyond just what's happening in D.C. Kate, Mayor, it's been my pleasure. It has been my pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having me. And I hope we'll be able to do this right. again. Absolutely. Even so. before next year. I tell you what, it's great that there's Zoom now and everybody's used yeah. to it. So let's keep it up and you keep Absolutely. doing that great work. Okay? Thank you so much for Thank having so me. I appreciate it. 
we spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join. Well, that is the show for today. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you know how we end this, baby. I am what? Out! <laughs>